I'm very disappointed that members of our own parliamentary party staged a coup effectively and undermined the authority of the Prime Minister. Let's not name names, but Michael Gove. Hello, I'm Christopher Hope, the Associate Editor for The Telegraph, and welcome to Chopper's Politics Podcast, live from the Tory party conference. Yes, 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 bravo. I always always liken party conferences to circuses, and this year it does feel a bit like the ringmaster has gone missing and the lions are eating the acrobats one by one. But anyway, moving on. Joining me today is one minister trying to help Liz Truss keep the show on the road. Until recently, she was the Attorney General... But after throwing her hat into the leadership ring, she's come out the other side as Home Secretary. Suella Braveman, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Suella, here's your, here's your mug you get to come on the show. Oh. A quick, quick uh, yes. smile, smile for Jeff. There we are. Suella Braveman, thank you for joining us. We'll come on to ho- uh, the Home Office later and, and immigration and everything else. And that's sure. a really important issue for, the, for a lot of the members here. Uh, on the issues of the day, yes. is your government Conservative? Um, Yes, absolutely. Listen, this is an exciting time to be a member of the Conservative Party. We're the greatest party in the history of our country. And why are we Conservatives? Because we we believe in old-fashioned ideals. Maybe that's a quaint way of putting it. But what defines me as a a Conservative? We believe in the individual, the freedom of the individual. We are sceptical of excessive regulation. We want to lower taxes. We want to get the state out of our lives. We want sovereignty full fat sovereignty uh, and we want to ensure that we also support our communities and those who are the most vulnerable that is the vision that unites us all as a family uh, and i believe that's the vision that liz trust wants to put into action and let's all get behind her so that she can do it if you had won the leadership race in all in, in july and august would you try to cut 45p that's a good question. Oh, my goodness. Hypotheticals. Oh, my God. These are tough questions. It's um, just me talking. Yes, just, just you talking, no, talking no and a, a million other people listening. Um, would I, well, listen, I was in favour. I supported the decision. I think we, we, can, we could not and we cannot continue with the highest tax burden in 70 years. And if there's one thing that distinguishes us from the high span spending, high taxing Labour Party, it's cutting taxes. So, yes, I was a supporter of the decision announced by the Chancellor and the Prime Minister uh, 10 days ago. I think it was the right thing to do. I think it would have stimulated growth. I think it would have encouraged uh, higher earners to work more and to bring more and invest more in this country. It would have created more jobs. I think it would have been a great thing. So I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed about the subsequent reversal, but I accept their reasons uh, and I'm you know, doesn't affect my support for Do the you understand the reasons why? I understand the reasons why. Ultimately, I'm very disappointed that members of our own parliamentary party uh, staged a coup, effectively, and undermined the authority of the Prime Minister um, in an unprofessional way. We are one party. We've, you know, the Prime Minister has been elected on a... She's got a serious mandate to deliver. She uh, did talk about tax cuts very extensively all throughout the summer in a pretty exhausting process. Pretty, and clear, I, pretty clear. Pretty clear. She's doing what she put on the tin, and uh, to mix my metaphors. But she, you know, we should, we should be supporting her. And I'm not... Uh, I, I'm very disappointed, to say the least, by how some of our colleagues have behaved. Let's not name names, but Michael Gove... Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> Him particularly. I mean, he sat in that chair saying that he would, have, he would not go ahead with it. Yeah. 
And I'm very disappointed with that. He should I know better, shouldn't he, as a, as a I, I, listen, MP? Listen, I have a lot of respect for Michael, and he's a, a friend of mine, but I do think that he got it wrong on this, and I think, actually, it's incumbent on him to try and corral support, encourage uh, the, the new administration to succeed, because, ultimately, we're on the same team, and we should be focused on being united and delivering for the British people, because the thing that keeps me up at night is the prospect of a Labour government, and none of us want to see that happening, and that's why all of our MPs and all of our members should be uniting behind this Prime Minister. If my, if, if Michael Gove was sitting there with this, this rather handsome chap with the glasses, what do you say to him now? Listen, I would say, Michael, if you've got concerns, if you've got disagreements, raise them in private. That's what our party does. That's what we, you know, we're a broad church. We're not all, all going to agree on every single topic all of the time. Concerns are legitimate. In fact, they're very helpful. And that's what you do as a friend, as a critical friend. You take your friend aside and you say, listen, I'm not sure. Have you thought about this? Is this the right thing? Have you thought about that? You don't air your dirty linen in public. The leadership campaign is over, but is Michael Gove now running for leader? You'd have to ask Michael, but uh, I, I'm not going to just briefly, I mean, it's, leadership it's, it's not over yet. The, the, today's debate is about should benefits go up by inflation. Where are you on that? Listen, I'm, I, you know, I was actually quite clear in my um, uh, in my leadership campaign that I wanted to cut welfare spending. I think we have far too many people in this country who are fit to work, who are able to work, and should be working. Um, and they 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 choose. They choose to top up their salaries with tax credits or they, uh, you know, the benefits street uh, kind of culture, I think, does, is a feature of modern British. Is that still alive now? So uh, I, think it, I think that culture does exist in my constituency in Fareham. I've got people here in Fareham, local councillors, and they will, they will confirm that even in Fareham, on, in sunny, leafy Hampshire... Yeah, the the south-east, the possible south-east. There are pockets of communities where families have known nothing else but welfare. And Universal Credit did an amazing job of moving people off welfare and into work. But I think there is still a stubborn core of our population that sees welfare as the go-to option and is not motivated for financial or other reasons to get out there and work. And I think the stick, we've got, we've got lots of carrots. We've got lots of carrots to get people into work. But we've got to actually add more conditionality to the way we administer welfare uh, and more, a bit more stick to ensure that it actually pays for people to get off welfare and into work. That's ultimately what is going to bring prosperity. It's not welfare and being you know, trapped by benefits. It's actually being empowered. Uh, you know, it, it's, more, it's more than you, you know, your paycheck. It's, it's about being part of a team. It's about doing something industrious. It's about doing something for the greater good. Work is a great salvation, and I think it's a great liberator. And I think culturally, we still have to get that message across to millions of people in this country. So my view then was, yes, we need to cut welfare spending. However, right now, I do... I, I have to say, you know, the question is under review. I take on board what Penny Morden has said, but I know the question is under review. We, we also need to support the most vulnerable. We are not a cruel party. We are here to support people through tough times, and that's exactly what the safety blanket of welfare is there to do. So now is not the time to go to do a, a below inflation rise in benefits? Well, I'm not, I'm not going to take a view. I, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence, which is very unsatisfactory for all of you, I, I know. But uh, the question is under review. Yeah. That is what the Prime Minister has said. I think um, I'm going to support her in exploring yeah. this and issue And give her fully. space to make it. Yes, and that's what I want. I'm not going to make policy up. So it's not helpful for Penny Mordaunt to 
give our view out so early on in the debate. Listen, we're all politicians. We've all okay. got views. It's very hard. Now, in your day job, immigration, yes. it's a big, th- a big issue for, pe- for people yes. here. Do we need more migrants to boost the economy? Um, overall, we need to get net migration down. And that is my... That's policy. Unfiltered, unvarnished, unapologetic view. Overall migration, net migration, however you want to call it, needs to come down. 239,000 was the last number. If you uh, subtract the number of people coming in from the number going out. Uh, And that's really the same as pre-Brexit levels. And we haven't cut overall migration Isn't that extraordinary? We have left the European Union and the numbers are still the same as pre-Brexit levels. I agree. And I think for me, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, I voted and campaigned for Brexit for sovereignty, but also because I wanted to reduce migration. Um, and for, for a whole host of reasons, there are, there are structural pressures that mass and rapid migration poses to our country on housing supply, on house prices, on the number of GP places, on school places, on, on you know, we, we, are, we, are, we are dealing with more and more people. And I think it's fair and reasonable, in fact, incumbent on a government to take a rational and pragmatic view on the numbers of people coming into this country. So yes, I still stand by the Brexit promise and by our 2019 manifesto pledge to reduce overall numbers on migration. And that's my very, very firmly held view. So <laughs> but we, le- we left the European Union, didn't we, three, 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 three years ago, and it's still... And it's still still as big as ever. I mean, yes. is that a, that's a failure by your government. So I think what's happened is we've come out of the EU and we've delivered our points-based system. Pretty and Boris did design and implement the new points-based system. And it's not working? I wouldn't say it's not working. It's, been, it's working in the way that they wanted it to work. So they used their levers that they have, they exercise their control, and the result is we issued a record number of visas last year, just over one million work and study visas plus dependents. So that was a decision made by the government. My view going forward is we have to use the levers in a different way. And I think we should start saying, right, we've, got, we've issued a record number of visas, we still haven't got net migration down. My view is we need to start using those levers to so pull a, the numbers that's down. It's a million over two years. How many will you issue over two years, next two years? Well, I, I can't commit to numbers because all the, there's so many unpredictable events. But Would you well, like I'm, to? Would you like to? I, I, want to um, bring, I want to bring the numbers down. So I think we've seen what we have seen in the last year alone. Actually, I've got the figures here. From between 2021 and 2022, we saw work visas, just in the space of 12 months, increase from uh, 171,000 to over 300,000. That's a 94% increase. Student visas in the last 12 months, they went up 72%. So I think we've seen massive increases in the number of work visas issued and the number of students, and plus, plus their dependents. So that's where the increases come from. I think we need to look more closely at the, the kinds of workers who are coming into this country. We frankly have too many low-skilled workers coming into this country. I think we need to focus on bringing high-skilled workers in and reduce the number of low-skilled. I think we have too many students coming into this country who are propping up, frankly, substandard courses in inadequate institutions. Uh, And I think poor universities are bankrolling, are being bankrolled by foreign students. And I would really like to see that number come down. The dependents, the dependents, you know, you can get a student visa 
and you can bring family members. We've seen quite a large number of students bringing family members. I would say, if you're coming here for an undergraduate degree, is it justifiable that you bring your family members? No. If you're coming here uh, on low-skilled work on a temporary visa, is it justified that you bring your family members in? No. I would say if you're here on highly skilled work for a long period of time, then yes, there might be an argument. So these are levers open to us. tightening up the ratchet on something. I think we can take a smart approach. Yes, let's support our farming sector. Um, but equally, I think is also when it comes, you know, we get a lot of special pleading in this debate. The farmers come and say, oh, well, we can't recruit locally. The British people are lazy. They don't want to work in the, in the fields. We get business coming and saying, well, we, who's going to be my, you know, my shop assistant? Would you say try harder to find the yes, Brits? Yes, exactly. And I think if we're going to help them with migration, we have to make it incumbent on them on farming to innovate, industrialise and use technology to reduce the requirement and their reliance on cheap foreign workers. There are examples all over the country and abroad where automation is making agriculture much more efficient and more productive in the long term. We should should be asking them to advertise more energetically locally. There's a great you know, I don't, I don't buy this line that they say the British people don't want to work in farms. I don't, I'm not persuaded by that. There, there are studies which show that young people just don't know enough about the opportunities in farming. And actually, there are examples of farming uh, enterprises around the country where they are employing uh, largely domestic workforces. And actually, in doing so, they've created a great community and culture of cohesion and team spirit as opposed to just looking abroad as the first port of call so i think we've got to put the burden back on our farmers and on our businesses to recruit domestically first what does success look like for you it's 239,000 net at the moment half that but by the next election See, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> well, trap me here. Help. I'm gonna trap myself. Well, no, I, no I, not I, trap yourself. No. Just, just if, if you're, you know. Listen, ideally, I, I would, I would like to, see, you know, in the nineties. Yeah, tens. In of the nineties, it was in the tens of thousands. Well, that was the target, wasn't it? Under, that, uh, under Mrs. So Thatcher. Can you get up there by twenty? Net migration, and David Cameron famously said, "Tens of thousands, thousands. no ifs, no buts." So that would be my. That would be my ultimate aspiration, but we've got to take it slowly. By, by when? And we've got to go incrementally. Oh, my goodness, he's not letting me go. Well, I'll uh, help these chopper. guys get some answers. Um, I, I'm not going to commit to a number, but I think, we're, I think we can't... I think, you know, we've got to definitely substantially reduce the number of students, the number of work visas, and yeah. particularly the number of dependents and low-skilled visas. Can I ask you a personal question? Your parents are from Mauritius and Kenya. How do you feel about stopping other people arriving here? I have no qualms about that, absolutely. I don't, I, and, I, and again, this is a, a, a kind of a common argument trotted out by the left that, you know, because of the colour of my skin and my heritage, I, I have to think a certain way and I can't declare certain truths on you migration. You annoy them, don't you, because you're not left-wing. I hope I annoy them. That would be, that would be my delight if, I, if I'm annoying the left. Um, but no, I disagree with that. My parents came here through safe and legal routes. My mother was recruited by the NHS. My dad came here because uh, he was effectively kicked out of Kenya within the 1960s. But they came here legitimately. Um, that was the policy of the government. They came here, they integrated, they loved this country from afar as children of empire. They don't, by the way, have any qualms about extolling the virtues of the British Empire. It was the British Empire that brought infrastructure, the legal system, the civil service, uh, military, the military to countries like Mauritius and Kenya. And my parents are so proud. My mum, my, on my mum's side there, I think it's her great uncle and auntie fought with the Allies in World War II and we're, they were so proud of that. So I think, you know, children of empire, 
there, there are definitely, there's obviously a yeah. mixed picture, and, and obviously there are bad things about empire. But history is complex. Know, history is complex and nuanced, and I'm not going to apologise for empire. I'm not going to apologise for our past. History Should we is be proud of empire? Should we be prouder? I am proud of the British Empire. Yeah, quite. Yes. Absolutely. There's, there's been more applause in this, in this fringe meeting than a, any other previous oh, meeting ever right, had. So really? they, they, oh, they, they love you oh, here. No. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad uh, thing. Going back to the first question, are, are, is more migration the price to pay for, for, for getting the growth you need to win the election? But that, that is the point of, of the mini-budget, isn't it? They, they want more migration. Are you resisting that? Or do you accept no, it? I actually think uh, the Prime Minister and I are on the same page on this. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think we can go for growth and we can get overall migration down. It's the type of migration. So that's why focusing on highly skilled workers. So, you know, if there are sectors where there are acute shortages. You know, we, ha- we do have a, uh, a shortage of broadband engineers in this country. We want to get the, is it the microfiber? No, fib- fiber. Fiber born. There born we go, you yeah, see. I'm, don't, don't ask me about yes, IT. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, the, it's infrastructure. The, the fi- exactly, the infrastructure, the techno right. stuff. Okay. We, need, we need techno geeks in this country. Right. Let's bring them in. If we, can't, if we yeah. legitimately can't find them in this country, yes, let's try domestically. So I don't, and I think that will contribute to growth. Okay. Move just going on to a smaller group, small boats. That really annoys yes. our readers, members here, I'm sure. Why can't you stop the small boats coming? It's a deeply entrenched and complex problem. That's a simple answer. And I would love to be here saying, well, claiming victory. I would love to be having a, a front page of the Telegraph yes. with a, fly, a plane taking off to Rwanda. That's my dream. That's my dream. It's when my will obsession. that happen? When will it happen? Listen, you've got to ask the courts about that. By Christmas? That would be amazing. But if I'm honest, I think it's going to take long. I think, you know, we've got to come out of the legal dispute that we are currently um, embroiled in. So the High Court, we're still at first instance. The High Court is due to give a judgment later this month. If we win, that will be appealed. So then we'll have to wait for the Court of Appeal to adjudicate. That will take a few more months. If we win there, that will be appealed again. To the European Court of Human Rights? or the Supreme Court. We've still got to exhaust domestic remedies. And then, you know, even if we win the Supreme Court, uh, no doubt there'll be a claim at Strasbourg. Um, so, unfortunately, we've got to let that play out. But, you know, I, 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 was, I was looking recently at um, the records of past Home Secretaries, and they've all, probably without exception, had um, indelible frustrations with the European Court of Human Rights. Um, it took 12 years to remove Abu, Abu Qatada. Um, the Islamist cleric, you'll, you'll remember, um, overruled in English courts and then overruled by Strasbourg, and it was Theresa May who finally succeeded. So, you yep. know, this okay. is not a new problem. So while you're waiting for that to tick through the courts, what can you do uh, apart from that? Work more with the, your, the French? You speak French, don't you? Mais Answer oui. that in Je French. Je parle français. Ah oui. Et vous, monsieur? Yeah, so, you, ha- so, you, so you talk the language. Why not work more closely with them? Sorry about that awful joke, was <laughs> But you talk the language. Um, I do. I should say I used to be very fluent in French. Just to set the record, I was reported that I was fluent with my French counterpart a few weeks ago, and I, I lived in France for a couple of years. My mother is a francophonie. Uh, we speak. She speaks uh, Creole French, and I used to be fluent after I lived in France. But it's been 20 years, so my French is a bit rusty. And when I did meet and speak speak to my French counterpart, we started in French. 
and um, and I and I I did a we we did a, a fair bit of French in the beginning, and then I I did move to English. So I, I don't want it to be okay. said that I am completely free. Maybe it'll come back, but that's an aside. Um, what more can I do? So what more are we doing? We've got a, a big plan. So the French is definitely one aspect of the plan. We've currently now the deal with the French. I know it gets a bad reputation, but the reality is that the French are stopping about 40 to 50 percent of the disembarkations from the French coast. So that's about 20,000 attempts are being thwarted by French by the French authorities annually. Th- annually, that's not good enough, but it's better than nothing. So to those who say scrap the deal, stop paying them, I don't necess- I'm not of that view because that's better than nothing. Double numbers would, coming we'd, have, we'd have 20,000 more people, and so I'm go- it's better than nothing, but it should be more. So we've got to, you know, that that interception rate shouldn't be 50%. It should be 80, 90% at least. They've got about 200 gendarmes on the coastline. We need to double that. We need to get, you know, um, Brit- the Brits working a bit more hand in hand with them. We've got to use better technology. We've got brilliant drone technology that can go over and identify these people and their operations, so that we can alert the authorities to intercept. So I think. Much more collaboration with the French is important. And, and what I did take away from my conversation with Gerard Damama a few weeks ago was that they, they are, they are, they want to solve this. It is a, it, it is a blight on their Pas-de-Calais region. It's ruining um, communities. The mainly Albanian, Albanian uh, people who are coming are not asylum seekers. They are criminal gangs. They are bringing criminality to that region. The Front National is uh, gaining. Support on the back of this issue alone. So politically, and from a criminal justice point of view, they do want to fix it. We've got a joint interest. We both want to. I'm, I would go to France very soon to meet Gerard in person to talk about this. And you know, we've talked about possibly working more closely with the Albanians. I know he's very keen to do that, and also with other countries. You know, we're not the only country dealing with it. The Belgians are grappling with this. The Danes. I mean, the Danes just reached a similar agreement with Rwanda. Uh, we, you know, we can all work together. Yeah. Are you joining with the Danes to fight? fight you know, I would like to really explore how we can, you know, on ones. I think there's a lot more we can build on when it comes to the Rwanda template. We can get more countries, destination countries, and we're looking actively at negotiating with countries who will take our asylum seekers. But we can also look at more source countries, so the French, the Brits, the Danes, the Belgians. And the navy, navy patrols carry on, do they, on the south coast? Yes, I mean, uh, Prime Minister pledged to that in, in yeah. the leadership contest, and I think the military do bring an added element of professionalism and resource to this challenge. And in terms of the e- ECHR, just clarify. Dominic Raab's plans—they are dead now, are they? And what's the replacement largely, of the Bill of Rights? Largely, they are largely. So the the Bill of Rights that Dominic introduced earlier this year have uh, has been shelved, um, but there is still an important element there that we do want to retain, um, and that is excluding the impact and the influence of the a foreign court, effectively the European Court of Human Rights, um, the Strasbourg Court, which, as you saw in June, you know, came in at the last. Minute to thwart our flight to Rwanda. We don't want that to happen. So we need to pass some legislation to ensure that uh, measures from the Strasbourg Court don't have that effect in the in the okay. US. Just move on to, on to crime. Um, And I would just say, finally, a really important point, which I need to start 
talking about more is modern slavery. Now, modern slavery has been a proud achievement of this government. Uh, we, in, we won the first countries in the world to start fighting this scourge. But the truth is that the modern slavery laws that we put in place are being abused and exploited by the people coming across on the boat. So they're coming across and, funnily enough, after they've consulted a lawyer, will put in their claim for modern slavery. That's regardless of the fact that they may have paid to come across. That's regardless of the fact they may have actively sought to come here across the channel and take a dangerous journey. Uh, and that's regardless of the fact that they're coming from uh, a relatively safe country like Albania. So it's being abused and it's currently the main blocker to removal of illegal migration. And worse than that, our modern slavery rules are being abused by convicted um, criminals. So, you know, people who have served their sentences for in, in murder, drug supplying, uh, paedophilia, are, you know, on the point of our... They finish their sentence, we want to deport them, they claim modern slavery. And they are then, um, you know, allowed to stay in this country again. So there's some, we, need to, we need to change the law to ensure that that abuse cannot carry on. Well, what does, on crime, what does going back to basis, basis on policing mean? Well, I think there are several angles to this. I, I'm very keen on common sense policing, old school policing, and I really want to take that, away the distraction. detecting crimes. And exactly. solving crimes. Exactly. It shouldn't really be that complex, no. should it? And the fact that you're asking me this says a lot about the state of policing today. And I think there's a perception that the police have been distracted by politically correct initiatives, uh, you know, pandering to various lobby groups. So they're, you know, they're more interested in policing uh, non-crime hate incidents. Mm. Uh, it's easier, taking right? Taking on journalists. It's easier, though, isn't uh, it? It, it is easy. It's desk bound. It, you sit there just cor- looking yes. into things. Maybe I mean, that's where it comes you from. You don't have to I go out and meet a. Yeah, I think it's it's part of that. I think there's also been a a bit of a um, distortion of priorities within policing um, over the last few years. There's been a bit too much of the PC brigade, frankly, and we've seen this in so many areas of our public sphere. Schools. I've talked about that in the past, but you know, uh, the justice system, private sector generally. You know, this kind of. Um, Inclusion, equality, diversity drive um, has come to take prevalence over the basics of policing, for example. Like, as you say, responding to Do you burglaries. want to see the police not, not doing the Macarena at, the, uh, one at these carnivals? Yes. That should stop? I would like that to stop. I'd like our police, our police to command authority by behaving in a serious manner. And they're trying to be get one, get one with the community, aren't they? And yes. I mean, I think that's know, community why they do policing it, is really important. Relationships... You know, are really important, particularly in urban areas where gang, there's gang violence, and police need to know their, know the people that they're dealing with. But I think there's a step too far when you've got them, you know, yeah. dancing the macarena, when you've got them taking the knee, when you've got them, uh, you know, undermining yeah. their authority. Well, what are the levers you can pull? You wrote to the 43 forces, didn't you, saying um, be less woke and focus on crime. But what can you do? Because they're independent, aren't they? I mean, yeah. It's like you're in charge, but not in charge. You're blamed for the yeah. mistakes, but it's not your fault. Yeah, it's a slightly frustrating position in some, in some ways. However, um, I'm really pleased, you know, on the back of my letter, um, and set, which I, in which I set out my priorities, I want antisocial behaviour to no longer be dismissed as a nuisance by the police, but actually fundamental to law and order and the, um, you know, the confidence that they command uh, within the public, that, you know, responding to drugs. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. the use of cannabis in parts of our country and, and our communities horrifies me. 
it's almost it's being legalised in London, in parts of London. They yeah. might legalise it. Soon. And when you've got Labour mayors like Sadiq Khan, I'm afraid, who seem to be more interested in the legalisation of cannabis than actually fighting addictive substances, which you know, cause mental health illnesses, which lead to more serious drug addiction, which are absolutely ruinous for our communities and families. You know, it, it, it's a topsy-turvy world, and I think the police need to start taking, you know, it's called recreational drug use. That's absolutely the wrong term, because that diminishes the seriousness of it. It somehow makes it acceptable. It's not recreational. It's harmful, and it's dangerous drug use. And I think we need to you know, the police are on the front line and me setting out that I take that seriously, I hope will send a message to the police as to what I expect their priorities to be. Antisocial behaviour, the broken windows theory is something I'm a big believer in and I think we've strayed a bit too far from that objective. Have you ever been a, been a victim of crime? I have, yes. What, can I ask what happened? Was it a burglary? Yeah, I was, I was mugged. I was mugged about 10 years ago. Um, I was on my phone uh, in central London and... A guy on a moped drove up to me and I thought, and he had a helmet on, I thought he was going to say something to me. And I kind of, in my usual way, kind of turned and smiled. And then he just plucked my phone out of, his, uh, out of my hand. And I thought it was a joke, actually. Uh, that's, so why, that's the way I think. Um, I take a benign view of humanity. And then he didn't stop. He drove off with my phone. And uh, I did call the police. Um, but I have to say, you know, all they were interested in is the crime number for insurance purposes. That's what it's become. If you're you a victim of theft, it's only about getting, getting cover from your insurance. It's not actually getting any retribution or justice. And, and that's you, a real shame. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's exactly what a lot of our listeners and readers tell us all the time. Yeah, I think it's a very sad state of affairs, particularly on a conservative watch as the party of law and order. Uh, and I feel this, the, the root of this, I'm afraid, is that criminals um, in certain areas believe that they can get away with it. And they don't believe that there is going to be any sanction and therefore they continue with this criminal behavior. And I think that is uh, symptomatic of a crisis yeah. in confidence. We have colleagues we have who, when they lose a laptop, they can, they can plot it around London. They know where it's gone. Yes. Uh, someone had a bike nick, it had a tracker on and yes. the, the police won't help find it. And they yes. can say it's in that garage. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's simply unbelievable. Yeah, well, this is a big feature. I've really had a good moan about the police here. I have to say, you know, I do back the police. I do think they are some of the most courageous and committed people in our country. I'm very proud of them. And we have had some successes. So, you know, we have seen falls in serious violence. We have seen falls in overall neighbourhood crime. We actually have seen a fall in overall crime if you don't take into account the online factors of crime. That's massively... Uh, distorted our, well not distorted, but inf- you know, increased our cr- cr- criminal behaviour and counting in this country. So there have been some successes. We're seeing some turnaround when it comes to the investigation and prosecution and conviction of rape and serious sexual offenders in this country. We're seeing um, some really good results on county lines. Over 2,000 ca- county lines have been um, disrupted by the government, um, by the police, because they've really focused on following the intelligence and taking a really hard-hitting approach. And if you look around the country, police and crime commissioners have been really effective at pushing particular priorities. Um, in the southwest, they've really focused on, uh, on drugs. Operation Scorpion, I encourage you to look at. They've really gone heavy on the investigation and seizure uh, of drugs, and they've had some very good results. Uh, before we come to questions, some quick, quick yeah. ones for you. What have you learned from your run to be prime minister? 
that actually everyone should have a go. Right, because bring it's the it on. Best thing All ever. these people here, come on. Have a go. I very much enjoyed it. Obviously, I, w- I wasn't as successful as I would like to have been, but uh, I, I was liberated to say exactly what I wanted. I was met with a very warm reception from all of my colleagues, even if they disagreed with me. And I was very proud to be part of a lineup of candidates, which I do think showed the Conservative Party to be meritocratic, talented, and a really positive force for the future. And given you enjoyed it so much, will you do, do it again? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. Well, Chris, well, I'm, I'm very focused on serving as Home Secretary. Of course you are. We, of course you are. And would you do, do it again? <laughs> <laughs> There's no vacancy. <laughs> what other answers can I come up with? <laughs> What's your advice to women entering politics? I mean, you get a lot of trolling, don't you? And a lot of people here want to be MPs, probably. Not easy, is it? I mean, it's, um, it's, it's pretty grim out there. <clears throat> For men and women, but women particularly. For men and women, I have to say, listen... Uh, We've had lots of men, male MPs. I mean, David Amos was not even a year ago. So I think you know, men take their fair share of abuse and in some ways you know, people feel they can be more violent and aggressive towards men. I mean, the way Michael Fabricant was spat out, or not spat out, but, you know... He was jostled. He was jostled. Yes, we've got to get it right. He wasn't actually assaulted. Um, but, you know, so I, I do think uh, the, men, the men get a hard time in, in, our, in our public uh, discourse. But for women, I mean... I'm going to be honest, I have to say, I haven't really felt a particular mistreatment or you know, better treatment because I'm a woman. I, I do feel within the Conservative Party, you know, I've been treated very respectfully. I've been given a fair crack of the whip. I've been given huge amounts of support and encouragement. Um, I was very, very much supported by Women to Win the great Anne Jenkin. Yeah. Uh, if, any, if there are any women here who want to get elected at any level, into any role, you know, Anne Jenkin is the lady who uh, will support you in that when it's very difficult. But, but and strangers on, on, on Twitter and social media, that's not very nice, is it? To get support in the party, but outside the party. Yeah, I mean, Twitter, Twitter is a... I, I have described and I will describe it again as a, a sewer. It's a sewer. And um, I do think too much attention is paid to Twitter and what goes on uh, in that sewer. And just like I wouldn't spend any of my time really looking too closely at the sewer, I try to limit the time that I spend looking at Just while while on the subject, what is a woman, (laughs) Suella? Well, a woman is an adult female. Uh, A woman has two X chromosomes. A woman gives birth. A woman... um, Is that enough uh, biological detail? We'll clear that one up. Okay. A woman does not have a penis. No penis, right. No penis. Any more graphics? No, I've got enough. Okay, all right, okay. Um, (laughs) What advice would you give to the 20-year-old Suella? Oh, my goodness. Well, 20-year-old Suella was living in Poitiers. She was studying uh, French law, and she was enjoying uh, French culture and our... um, And never thought she'd be Home Secretary, right? No, never thought she would be Home Secretary. 20-year-old Suella, what do I say? I'd say... um, Oh, goodness. I, I, 20-year-old Suella was pretty... Uh, 20-year-old Suella was already a member of the Conservative Party. She'd already been uh, chairman of Cambridge University Conservative Association. Um, her mother was about to run for Parliament in the 20, 2001 general election. The um, so 20-year-old Suella, I'd say, keep going. It's all going to be OK. Keep going, OK. okay. Yeah. Qu- quick questions, finally. What, oh. What's the worst U-turn you've ever made? <laughs> My driving. Good <laughs> 
Don't get in a car with me. Don't get in a car with me. You've got to drive now. All your, all your guys are here driving drive around. Now, yeah. What's your favourite karaoke song? <sighs> Tough question. Um, Don't stop believing. <laughs> Listen, I'm a big Queen fan. Oh. I, when, when Freddie Mercury died... I went to Brian May, Roger Taylor, and John Deacon tribute ba- um, concerts when they were trying to do their solo careers. And, um, you know, um, well, come on, it's got to be Bohe- Bohe- Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, right. Will Brexit ever get done, yes or no? It's already done, but we've got to finish. We've got to keep going. Not for further. Northern Ireland, it's not. But you're not for Northern Ireland, you're right. Yes, you're right. So, uh, yes, it will get done. Okay. Ireland. Grammar schools, yes or no? Yes. Do we need I don't think that's government policy. I don't know if it's government I policy. I think it's is getting it? towards oh, government policy. It's, oh, it's on the way. Brilliant. Excellent. Do we need a new royal yacht? Yes. Oh, exactly. Go, go, that's go. That's more like it. Good answer. And finally, an easy one. You've got two children. Yes. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> You've got three children. Yeah. How about which one do you prefer? The dog. The dog. <laughs> That's what I should answer. Yes, exactly. Any questions? Hands up. Gentleman here. Uh, good afternoon. Hello. Uh, Suella, uh, th- thank you for Rianda. I was gonna, that was my main question. But something I'd love you to touch on, and it's the scourge of central London at present. Another week goes by. Another unfortunate young man is stabbed. Is he an innocent victim? Is he part of a drug gang? I know we can't arrest our way out of the drug problem, but I'd love you to talk something about drugs, which we haven't heard this morning and I'll, this afternoon, and I'd love to hear something about knife crime, which is, is so prevalent yep. today. Yeah, scourge of knife crime. Yep. Well, um, really important because, as I said, homicide, unfortunately, we haven't seen homicide rates fall, and a large part of that is because it's knife crime uh, related or, or it's drug fueled, And so if we get drug sorted and we sort out knife crime, we will be able to lower the homicide rate. So the short answer is we've seen some really good uh, projects on knife crime in Milton Keynes and our Conservative Police and Crime Commissioner has really spearheaded that. And what they've done is they've um, encouraged the police or the police have changed their approach to when they find someone, if they arrest someone in possession of a knife, they will not release them under investigation, a technique that the police overuse, in my view, and they will remand them in custody and they will actually be sentenced um, or they will, they will go through the court procedure and receive a sanction. So people are getting the message. Young boys, generally, will get the message that possessing a bladed weapon is going to land them in court with a criminal sentence. And that's a massive, sending a massive signal to, uh, to deter them from picking up a knife in the first place. And drugs as well. We've got a drug strategy. I encourage you to read it. But it sh- again, it sets out exactly what we really need to do on the county lines. Huge, huge aspect of the work. But I, I'm very much in favour of taking a hard line on cannabis. I am very dismayed that it has been normalised. It has been, as you say, decriminalised in parts of our country. Uh, and it's become a do you blame class. the middle classes for that? I, I do because blame we, the middle they class. tolerate it. I do blame middle class tolerance for it. Uh, a lack of awareness of where snorting that line of cocaine at your party with your banker friends actually comes from. And also, I'm afraid, middle class parents who turn a blind eye to their teenage kids who are routinely sourcing cannabis or, uh, or, or, or weed or pot or whatever you call it. And I think you can go around Fairham, unfortunately, and you get, you get the whiff. And, you, and they are very nice areas uh, of part of our, our constituency. And it's very, very sad. And I think we have to take a tough line. I think the police need to clamp down on it. We've got eight minutes. Sorry, I do give go. very long answers. I know, good answers. The man <laughs> there with the microphone. 
Hi, good afternoon. Uh, Swella, Dwayne Brooks. From the Windrush Cross-Government Working Group, uh, two things. One, we don't know what the Home Office's view on Windrush right now and the Windrush scheme, so if you can give us an update on that. And number two, the compensation. Uh, it's taking too long to pay people. What can we do to work together to ensure we speed up payments? Thank you. Okay, Windrush. Yeah. Dwayne, uh, thank you so much for all your work that you're doing on behalf of the families. Um, I want to get this sorted. I want to get this finished and draw a line under it and uh, you know we have paid compensation to a number of families there are still outstanding people who uh, rightly need the payment I think we've got to bring finality to this issue once and for all so that you know compensation is duly paid okay man at the back there with a big beard so hello um, thank you very much for everything you've said I agree with all that you've said I'm Jeffrey Van Orden former leader of the Conservatives in the European Parliament um, your excellent predecessor, Priti Patel, she was Home Secretary for three years. She was wanted to be very tough on immigration. Um, why didn't she succeed? And are you going to have to address the question of the Refugee Convention and ECHR and prepare public opinion for some sort of change? Priti and Boris, uh, they did everything within their power to try and fix this problem. And I, I, it was not for want of trying. So I don't think they personally did anything wrong. I've been, I've been in countless meetings with them on this subject, and the Prime Minister in particular was infuriated uh, about this subject, and he, more than anyone, wanted to fix it. So I don't think they did anything wrong. They were thwarted by our laws, and that's why we still need to change our laws, and that's the simple but depressing truth. Okay. Lady here. Um, Lizzie Kirsch, University of Birmingham. Um, research from the university showed that women who were trafficked into the UK were too fearful to report being victims because they were told by the criminals who trafficked them that they would be arrested and detained. Um, do you see the new Victims Bill as protecting women like these? And when do you expect the Victims Bill to come through? Yeah, Victims Bill. Great question. Um, my understanding is that the Victims Bill is is uh, definitely a, a big piece of work that the Ministry of Justice is very keen to put forward. And, and on trafficking, you know, I'm very proud of our track record on supporting particularly women and girls who've been trafficked into uh, servitude, into the sex industry, into uh, criminality, into, you know, through no fault of their own. And they've been exploited and they're vulnerable. And we need to ensure that those people are being protected. The problem is, because we're being overwhelmed by spurious claims, those genuine victims are not actually getting the support that they need because the system is gummed up. So we can't actually get to the real uh, kosher cases. We're actually having to work our way through a multitude of, of, of spurious and unfounded claims. Okay. Uh, let, let it back there, please. Um, hi. Sorry. Um, yeah, my name is Jasmine. I'm a student at the University of Warwick. Um, I just wanted to ask what the government's going to do more to protect women's safety on the streets because when I'm by myself, I don't feel safe walking home at night and I'd really like to see some more changes on this. Yeah. Well, I think there are, again, many, many angles to this. But what I would say very briefly is that uh, we are and I am very, very committed to increasing the, the investigation, um, you know, kind of, rate, if that's the right word, the investigation rate, the charge rate, and ultimately the conviction rate of uh, 
mainly men, men who commit rape and serious sexual offences. And unfortunately, that number is too low. And so uh, the system is not quite working. We've got some very, very good pilots. And I oversaw some of this when I was attorney overseeing the Crime Prosecution Service. Uh, Operation Soteria. I don't know if you've heard about it, do look it up, but it's innovative working and collaboration between victims, the police and the CPS so that the victims of crime don't feel let down or abandoned or on trial themselves. We need to make sure that victims feel supported through the system. Where do you sit on giving uh, anonymity to people accused of sex crimes? Think of of Cliff Richards in the past and others. I haven't got a firm view, but my instinct is that I'm very... Uh, very supportive, actually, of it. I do think you know, the decision to bring a charge is a very important decision. It's only... Uh, or, oh, sorry, the decision to arrest. Um, and, and I think that you know, it can be devastating to someone's reputation, uh, but it doesn't mean that they're guilty. The decision to arrest or charge does not mean guilt. And yet, those two decisions alone can get someone suspended from their job. It can ruin their professional or uh, uh, general reputation. Uh, It can ruin families. And it can be very, very traumatic to the individual, mainly the man, under suspicion. And I think we've got to take those decisions very carefully. There are legal safeguards in place. But I do think we have to look at the the trial by media, unfortunately, that that ensues when it is public. And I think that can be devastating. So I think we've got to be very careful. Yeah. Uh, Chap here. Man here. Um, you touched on it before, but um, what are the government's plans to deal with the kind of massive proliferation of um, online fraud and particularly being targeted with people who are, say, less digitally aware and like spam texts and the like? Because I think we've all seen lots of people losing far too much money to these criminals. It's a massive feature of uh, modern day crime. And, um, and we need to take smarter action. And frankly, I think for too long, uh, our law enforcement agencies have been on the back foot. That's for t- one reason, which is they don't have the capabilities. So I want to see more, we need more hackers working in the heart of our NCA and our police, uh, police authorities so that they can you know, play the hackers at their own game. We need more digital analysts. We need more tech specialists. And we don't have that. So we're, we're kind of working with uh, one arm tied behind our backs so far. We also need to look at the source. I mean, this, this problem is huge. And we're, I think you know, once we're looking at investigating or dealing with the symptom, we're actually, again, too late. We have to work with the tech companies and the banks to ensure that they identify the nests of hackers and they, they disable them yeah. before they get to, you know, Mrs. Miggins and defraud her yeah, of her life savings. And just two more. Man there with the glasses, please. Suella, thank you for being here today. Um, comparing the new government with the old government, you said that Dominic Raab plans are dead. Regarding your predecessor in this role, Priti Patel, she signed agreements with Albania and Pakistan to deport criminals from those countries back to the country of their origin. Are you going to continue those? Are you going to sign new ones? And how can you work with more countries? Yeah, we need more removals agreements. And Priti Patel did really well in securing an agreement with uh, Al- Albania, Pakistan, as you say, and actually um, other countries. Um, yeah, this is not about illegal migration, but it's about overstaying. It's like corollary issue, which is the largest group of people who overstay are actually Indian nationals. And Priti Patel secured an agreement with India to try and get removal of Indian nationals. And they've they, got to be clear, they don't go into criminal behavior, but they do overstay their visa uh, allowances. And so we've got to start removing people. And agreements with other countries where they cooperate with us is, is definitely the way that we'll 
uh, succeed in that. Last one, please, sir. You mentioned the number of people the French stopped crossing the Channel. Don't they just try the next day? And what about their boats? You're absolutely right. They do try again. So that's why interception on the French coast is not sufficient. It doesn't stop the problem and only delays it. Uh, and you're absolutely right. The, the gendarme will stop them or puncture their dinghy. They'll just try again uh, the next day and the next day. And maybe it takes three or four attempts, but they'll get there eventually. So, but, it, but it's one angle to our multifaceted plan. Um, I'd rather that than actually just, you know, do nothing on the French coast. So we have to do something, and I think we've got to bolster that defence. But you're right, it's, it's not uh, in and of itself a solution. Sir Braveman, thank you for joining us today on Chopper's Politics. It's great to have you on. Please give a round of applause. Thank you, everybody. And of course, thank you for the audience for coming. On your way out, please do take home a mug. If you want to watch it all again or all my shows early this week with Jacob Rees-Mogg, Michael Gove and Jake Berry, you can do so on The Telegraph's YouTube channel or listen again by searching Chopper's Politics wherever you normally listen to your podcasts. For all the best analysis from Tory party conference, as well as the best backstage gossip, please pick up your copy of the Daily Telegraph on leaving or go to telegraph.co.uk or sign up to my newsletter, which you might enjoy daily. Otherwise, have a great time, jolly conference and cheerio! <laughs>